Welcome back to the Live a Legacy podcast, a project by the Andrew Goodman Foundation. This is your co-host, Mo Banks. And me, Matthews. And today we are joined by Bradley Smith Warner, the Executive Director at the Vote at Home Institute. Well, welcome to this episode of the Live a Legacy podcast. I'm very excited for this new season and our first guest on the season. Um, I'm actually going to pass it over to Barbara to introduce herself. Um, so tell us who is with us on the podcast today. Hi, Mo. Thanks for having me. It's Barbara Smith Warner, three words, no hyphen. Uh, I am the executive director of the National Vote at Home Institute. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about your role as executive director at the Vote at Home Institute and like kind of what was your journey in landing there? And additionally, what inspires you to work at an organization that's helping to make voting at home more accessible? Sure. So I'm from Oregon, where we have been voting at home for over 20 years. We were the first state to start voting at home, which means fully the way we do it and eight other states in D.C. do it is every election, every registered voter is mailed a ballot two to three weeks before the election. They have time, lots of opportunity to think, be really thoughtful, return in a number of ways. It is the most foundational small D democracy, I think, that exists. And so when I had the opportunity to start working for the Vote at Home Institute, I was like, yes, please. Um, I'm a former legislator. I was a, a member of the uh, House here in, this, in the fine state of Oregon. I was the majority leader for a couple of years. And we worked, we did a lot of great policy, um, lots of great stuff on voting rights, on uh, reproductive rights, on all sorts of rights. Um, and when I, I did that for nine years, um, and I was ready to kind of take a step back up, you know, to gonna, kind of go upstream. Um, I tell people that this is small d democracy, but it's um, no longer the hand-to-hand -hand combat that I was uh, in for nine years as a legislator. Um, but in like my background, I pretty much spent my life, um, basically I've, I'm a longtime organizer and advocate. Uh, I'm a great believer in truly having a government of, by, and for the people. And the foundation, the most important thing about that is how do we make it as easy as possible for everybody to vote? And to me, that's what voting at home does. It is, it removes so many of the barriers that otherwise exist. So it's great. I have the opportunity. I engage with uh, other, um, with electeds around the country. I work with democracy advocates on the ground. We do coalition building. We work with local elections officials to try to make their jobs easier. We just do everything we can to increase voters' access to, use of, and confidence in voting at home. I love that. And that sounds like that's a perfect segue into what we're going to ask next. Next, But before we jump into that, since we're, we're whole people, we're whole humans, we have interests outside of our democracy work, whenever you're not making voting more accessible and easy for people to vote at home, what are some things that you do in your free time? Well, um, I will start with a thing. So I'm a longtime runner who am now in the midst of uh, an old lady knee injury that I am trying to work through. So right now I'm trying to figure out how do I keep like 
I am a, you know, I'm an extrovert and I'm also somebody who loves physical activity as a form of mental health, right? So I am a, you know, I'm a longtime runner. Um, I have an e-bike that I love. Um, That's another thing. I'll tell you that if there are two things that I think change the world is if everybody voted at home and if everybody had an e-bike, um, it would just, it, it would just be wonderful. So, so generally like I like, uh, I like to be active. I like to ride e-bikes. I'm a maniacal reader. I'm constantly reading, uh, multiple books, um, at one time. I'm also, uh, uh, I like to play games, uh, a particular, I'm a particular fan of Euchre, which anybody who's listening from Michigan, uh, will be familiar with, but Euchre, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like Pinochle for Dummies. It's a four-person Trump game that I've been playing since I was in college. Uh, and it's, it's just a, it's, it's easy enough that you can play and visit, uh, but challenging enough to, to keep it interesting. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate giving some insight into who you are just on a personal level. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to hear about a window into what inspired you and to get into this line of work. Uh, I would love for, if you could tell us a little bit more about the National Vote at Home Institute. What are your goals and mission? Sure. So, I mean, so when I talk about small D democracy, I think that basically when a voter is automatically mailed a ballot, they're mo- they're significantly more likely to vote, period. We have um, research from all different states, uh, different kinds of races, um, that it just foundationally, it makes it easier to vote. It makes people more likely to vote, right? And at the same time, we know that not every state is ready to become a full vote at home state right now. So broadly, what we do is um, is we kind of categorize states into like there's kind of four states that across a range of um, how voted home like friendly they are. The most obviously Oregon, uh, eight states, and and D.C. Oregon was the first one, but we're now up to eight states in D.C. that are full voted home. Every single voter gets mailed a ballot every time. Then at the other end of the spectrum is the states, there's about uh, 14 of them left now where there is a specific, you need a specific legal excuse, it's either in the constitution or in statute, in order to even get an absentee ballot, to even be able to vote at home. And um, even though administratively, nobody checks, um, but it is it is a big barrier that is put up for people being able to vote at home. So what we like to do is move people up the kind of you know up the up the up the slope towards full voted home. So moving from so kind of our worst case is excuse required. So the first step up is moving to no excuse. So anybody can sign up to vote at home um, for any reason, but they still have to do it for every election. So there's again about a dozen states that are in that st- status. Then kind of the next best thing is what's called a single sign up. What a lot of people probably think of as permanent absentee. Um, that's where not only can you vote, can you sign up to get an absentee ballot for any reason, you can sign up one time and get that ballot time after time. And then finally, there's the move to full vote at home. So what we work to do is to move states kind of along that path towards full vote at home. And in the meantime, work with the local local elections officials who are helping to run those mailed out ballot systems. Because the truth is people can vote at home in every state. The question is just how easy or difficult that we make it. Thank you so much for giving us more information on that process. What is it like trying to 
get those states where they need to be and to give that information to folks who, who are looking to vote at home. Yeah, it's a challenge. Um, you know, it, it's very interesting. If you look at the states that are full vote at home now, right, started in Oregon, it's a, it's a pretty dominantly West Coast thing. You got Oregon, Washington, California. Um, in the last couple of years, we've added Hawaii, Nevada, um, and then uh, Colorado, and then the big surprise to many people, Utah. Utah is a full vote at home state. And then you've got Vermont and D.C. over on the East Coast. Um, and the truth is, what I once people expose, once people are exposed to voting at home, they really like it, right? That is, I mean, a, a big part of our what we try to do is to m make it more accessible to people. Because if you think about, like, what we learned a lot of things in the pandemic. One of the things being, you know what? It's kind of great to have stuff sent to your house. <laughs> you know, it's great to not have to go out and do stuff. It's great to get it sent to you. That's what voting at home is like. Like if you can take away all the waiting in line and confusion about this, and instead it just comes to you. So we, a big part of how we do our work is to try to um, increase the number of people that access it, right? In 2020 drama, um, the good thing was a lot of people were exposed to voting at home who had never done it before. And they were like, dude, this is great. This is so much easier. I have so much more time to really do thoughtful researching, um, whatever it is. So that is a big part of how we do the work is we try to get more people exposed to it. So we encourage folks who are doing voter registration. We're like, hey, how about... In addition, how about in addition to signing people up to vote, to invite them to get an absentee ballot, maybe a one-time, maybe a permanent, a single sign-up, whatever it is. But we work with um, we work with groups to to increase that access, right? Hey, how about if you how about if you try that out? Because in the long run, it all kind of works together. The more people are exposed to it, the more they like it, the more they sign up for it, and then the more people who use it. Um, if you look at a couple of the states that um, uh, Washington and Colorado, in particular, when they transitioned to full vote at home, it's because more than half of their people, they had made, they had single sign up, right? They had made it really easy to vote at home and more than half of their people were doing it. And so they were like, why don't we just go to this whole, this whole system? Um, it saves money. It is easier to administer in a lot of ways. Um, it, uh, you hear a lot about, you know, we hear all the time about um, there's a shortage of, of workers for various jobs. Well, that happens in elections too, right? There's all sorts of stories about poll workers for this year's elections. And you know what? If you have, are you, if you're voting at home, you don't need poll workers. Sure, you still have the people running elections, but it really decreases the number of poll workers you need. It's much, it's a much more manageable thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like I want to jump in and tell a personal story. We've got time. I'm going to do it. Um, so I, um, in the 2020, during the pandemic, 2020, big election cycle, um, I had just recently started working at the Andrew Gibbon Foundation. And anybody who's, you know, listened to the podcast before knows that I was not raised in a very civically engaged environment. I wasn't, like, overly involved in politics. I grew up in Oklahoma, which I think has, like, one of the worst voter turnout rates in the country. It's just, it was never accessible. It wasn't really something that was like put in front of me. And so, you know, I'm in my, at this point, I was in my late 20s. I was just kind of trying to figure out how can I make a difference? How can I make my voice heard? I was also working from home and I had a small toddler with me who 
we couldn't afford, you know, as a working class family to put him into daycare because it's like $500 a week and that's ridiculous. That's like a whole paycheck. Anyway, so I'm like taking him with me to the polls to vote on election day. He's like running around. It's chaos. I'm like trying to be like, can you just like sit here in this ballot box with me while I make these really fast decisions that I'm really not really sure what I'm doing. He's like trying to touch buttons. It's just like I'm sweating. It's a whole thing. So I was just like, wow, that was not fun. And I don't think that um, that's how it's supposed to feel to go and make your voice heard, right? So fast forward a little bit um, to the next year, 2021. I was living in Arkansas at the time. They're having some local elections. It was the first time ever in Arkansas history that they did mail ballots for no excuse. It was one of the things that happened through the pandemic. So I got a ballot in the mail. I was like, whoa, what is this? I got to take my time. Like I don't have the chaotic feeling of being rushed at the ballot box and not really knowing what I'm doing. But, you know, like a lot of people who haven't experienced mail-in ballots, I was like, is this something I can trust? Is this something that's valid? Is it going to go where it needs to go? And I think, you know, a huge misconception that was really propelled by the big lie that happened after 2020 was that mail-in ballots are not reliable. They're going to get lost in the mail. They can be tampered with. How do you can, how can you trust all these things? There's so many things that were said about voting from home that's just simply not true. So, you know, as somebody who works, you know, passionately to make sure that people can vote at home, have access to these things, it's easy, it makes sense. What are some things that you would like to debunk for our audience about voting from home? Thank you for bringing that up because, I mean, the big lie is frustrating in a lot of ways, right? And about a lot of things. And particularly, you know, particularly for us in this situation, um, I'd say that the baseline, the baseline things that I want people to know is that number one, it is safe, right? I mean, part of our mission is not only to increase voters' access to and use of it, but their confidence in it. And so for people to know that, like this idea, you cannot stuff ballot box ballot boxes ballot drop boxes you just can't because the way that voting at home works is there is one ballot connected to each voter it's like there's they're barcoded they get sent out they come back in so first of all it's it's one one voter one one ballot period like that's the baseline of it and then there are other security elements on top. There's signature verification in most states. Firm that the signature of the person who voted is the signature of, of the person. Um, and honestly, so that so that's kind of the the whole this this whole idea that there can that you can create a whole bunch of fake ballots is not true, um, and that there is security around it that there is verification that each ballot is there's one ballot for each person and it came in. If somebody votes um, uh, votes at home and then tries to go and vote in person. It gets caught, right? Because they are one, they are one registered voter. And when you ding the two things, it comes up. The reason we know about the few, I like to use, um, I like to use uh, some data from the Heritage Foundation um, of all places. So the Heritage Foundation, um, mildly obsessed with um, fake voter fraud and the big lie, they have done research 
And in Oregon, where I can't remember quite all the numbers, but it's like, you know, 50 million ballots have been cast over the 20 some years. They investigated it, um, I believe about 17 cases of voter fraud over those like 20 plus years. And none of them had anything to do with the fact that it was voted home. They were all other things. So um, the truth is, it is, it is a secure process and it really is voter centric. This is another thing that I have been thinking a lot about is we need to center the voter in the voting, right? If you believe that voting is a right, it should be as easy as possible. And what is easier than sending a ballot to a voter, period. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we would love to dive a little bit deeper on of like making things easier um just because of like our our audience and who we work with as a as an organization like how does how does it make it easier for young voters in particular to vote at home that's a great question um we actually just released a report um on the 2020 election you know over time more and more data comes out and not only, um, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about how, actually, maybe I have not talked, maybe I haven't talked about the impact on turnout of voting at home, because um, that's really critical. Because the other part of believing that voting is a right is you really want people to vote. We really want as many people as possible to vote, because that is how you, I believe, strengthen your democracy. Like full engagement is what your goal is. So, and the thing, the other thing about voting at home in 2022, Oregon, we had the highest turnout of any state in the country off your like mid cycle election. Our turnout was over 70%. And if you look at over the years, we have been in like the top five of turnout as long as we have been doing vote at home and the other states. So then the, the youth voting in particular, we just did some analysis of the 2020 um, returns and discovered that six of the 10 states that had the highest voter turnout of young voters, well, this is defined as 18 to 34. You can there's there's subgroups as well, but six of the 10 states with the highest 18 to 34 turnout were states that mailed a ballot to every voter. Right. It's huge. And I think really it is because I think young voters are more used to th things coming to them. Right. I, I mean, I will I will tell you, I have never door dashed. Uh, I have never done a door dash. <laughs> right. Partially it's because, like I said, I like to be active. I like to walk to the restaurant. And even if I'm getting carry out, I like to go and pick it up. I like to go somewhere else. But my kids Right. Well, the first time I discovered it, my 17 year old daughter at the time had door dashed an iced coffee from McDonald's and it, which made my head explode. I was like, oh, the environmental impact of all that paper and the plastic and the gas to drive it here. And the McDonald's is eight blocks away. Um, but that idea of when I want something, I want it to come to me. So to me, a, a big thing about youth about about youth voters is this idea of centering you in it, right? It's hey, it comes to me, and I have more time. Maybe there's an argument. Oh, I don't know that much about the races. Well, 
what better than to have the ballot for a couple weeks in your hand and be able to go online, um, look at Ballotpedia, vote 411 about all the races and do it. So, I mean, to me, that is that is is really the key is the idea of centering the voter and particularly and and getting them engaged in that process. I had this really interesting conversation with um with a a, a youth voting researcher who talked about um the one of the reasons that pre-registration is so important to get kids, excuse me, I shouldn't say kids, uh, to get young vote younger voters pre-registered at 16 and 17, maybe when they interact with the with with getting their driver's licenses or whatever, because the earlier you establish that habit, the more likely you are to repeat it. So if you get a little notification after you get your driver's license or your state ID or whatever it is that you're pre-registered, and then as soon as you're 18, you're registered to vote. The the more the, the if you the the younger you vote, the more likely you are to become a regular voter. And I think that's fantastic. So we have um, in Oregon, we have folks pre-registered. You can be pre-registered at 16 and 17. It's part of our um, automatic voter registration program that's done through um, our uh, Department of Motor Vehicles here. But it's that idea of establishing that habit early and it's like you know it's like your civic it's like your civic uh, muscle you know you start it early you keep working on it and truly because that's I mean I just can't overstate how important right I'm in my 50s you know I I worry a lot about what's going to happen in the future and I'm not going to necessarily be here for it but truly the 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 young voters, the folks who are that that Andrew Goodman Foundation is is working to support. This is your future, and truly, as somebody who spent my life trying to get people to understand the difference they can make in their own government and in policy, it starts with voting. It starts with voting and getting representation, and then we could have a whole other conversation about running for office yourself, which I think is also great. But ultimately, it is. It is even more important to you because the choices you make and those habits you develop are going to have a huge impact in the kind of world you're going to live in for years after after I'm not here anymore. Absolutely. Andrew Goodman Foundation, not agree more on how powerful and important it is to support young voters. Um, and I just cannot agree more how absolutely critical it is to center voters in the vote. Um, so let's imagine there's a young voter listening to this podcast right now who's considering voting at home during the 2024 election cycle. What are some first steps or tips you want them to know as they begin that process? Great question. Um, the first thing is, um, is go online and make sure you're registered to vote, right? Almost every state, uh, there may be a few, but almost every state you can find out your voter registration status by going online. Am I registered to vote? You know, do a do a search. Um, and then look and see if you can get an absentee ballot. Hopefully you're in you're in a full vote at home state and you already know, but let's assume you're not. Um, the kind of the sweet spot are those two ranges of states that I talked about. That's either no excuse. Um, and anybody can get one and single sign up. So ideally, those are the states where it's going to be easiest for you to do this. But even if you're in an excuse required state, 
find out what the excuses are, right? They may be fairly likely. Maybe you, you know, you know you're going to be working or out of town or or whatever it is. It is and as I, it's generally pretty easy to qualify and to and find out what that is. Um because the other thing is, the other great thing about voting at home is that there's a reason we call it voting at home and not voting by mail. Because voting at home is what you are doing. The ballot is mailed to you. And what you're doing is voting at home, and you have a whole bunch of different ways that you can return it. Um, maybe you grew up going and voting with your parent at, on election day at a polling site. You know what? You can vote at home and still do that. You can vote at home and go take it and drop it in a Dropbox. Or if you don't have Dropboxes, you can drop it at your local or county elections office. So you can do that. Or you can put it in the mail. Or you can kind of do it in the mail or the Dropbox anywhere in between um, from when you get it to elect to when it's due on election day. So start with checking in on your registration status and looking to see how can I how can I vote at home? You may have to say vote by mail, but look it up online, check in with your elections office. And there are a few things better than knowing that you're not going to forget, you're not going to be sick on election, even if you're sick on election day, doesn't matter. Even if you end up having to work an extra shift on election day, doesn't matter. Because you have guaranteed that you are going to have that right. And nobody and no crappy scheduling or bad timing is going to take that away from you. Yeah, I think that that's a great, a great entry point for a lot of folks who maybe have never voted at home before. Um, and I love that the first step that you gave was to check your voter registration. I think that's key. So if, if anyone listening um, to this podcast, podcast right now would like to um, check their voter registration status, the Andrew Goodman Foundation has a one-stop shop for all of your voter needs. You can head to our website and you can actually check to see if you're, if you're registered to vote on our website. So I'll, we'll go ahead and link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but, you know, this is the Live Legacy podcast. And so for every episode, we we really do like to remember the why behind, you know, doing what we're doing. So, you know, part of our mission is continuing the legacy of Andrew Goodman, James Earl Cheney, and Michael Schwerner, who were three men that were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan for trying to register Black people to vote in Mississippi in 1964. So rooted in their legacy, we aim to continue the efforts of making young voices and votes a powerful force in our democracy. Whenever you hear the story of civil rights workers like Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner, how are you inspired to continue your own work to help young people be civically engaged? Yeah, it's an it's an amazing story. It is so motivational. And what I try to focus on is what they were doing then continues to be a need today. Right? When I hear stories about long lines of voters and people being cut off and you're not allowed to give them water or food and the, and the things that people do to exercise their right to vote, I think this is a continuation of that work. Right, that the, the, the work to disenfranchise, particularly Black voters, uh, it continues. Because there are there are still efforts going on today. I remember like growing up thinking, oh, you know, it all got fixed. I missed it. I missed my opportunity of, to engage in civil rights and voting rights in the 60s. No, we didn't. We still, all of us, have the opportunity every single day in the work that we do, in 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 the in the volunteering that we do to continue to make sure that voting rights are 
that everyone has access to them because they're, it, that is still a daily fight. That is a daily fight. If you think about what has happened in uh, Harris County, Texas, with the attempt to disenfranchise duly electeds because it's a because there are majority black communities and if you look at attempts to take it so that there's one ballot drop box in a huge county because that because it's majority black voters there all of that every day we still the the, the work we do um the work we do at vote at home the work you do at Andrew Goodman it still matters every day because there are still active engagement to try to disenfranchise um, black voters, poor voters. You know, I remember when I was a legislator, I used to have these conversations about um, voting as a privilege versus a right. And that's a really key distinction because I believe it's a right. And I do believe, and Andrew Goodman Foundation believes that it's a right that should be made as easy as possible. There's a whole chunk of folks who believe it's a privilege, who they think you should have to jump, go through some hoops and get through some hurdles. Well, if you can't take the time to go stand in line, then maybe you shouldn't be voting. It comes from this place of privilege of not understanding the fact that you, maybe you have multiple jobs. Maybe you have childcare needs, as Mo mentioned, that you can't do, you know, that you cannot, that, that make it difficult. Maybe you don't have transportation, because in where you live, they have made they have gotten rid of the nearby voting places for you and made it further away. So the truth is, the Andrew Goodman Foundation, all of this work, voting is a right, and everything we can do to make it as easy as possible so that as many folks as possible can vote, it still matters today as much as it did when those guys were doing that work and lost their lives for it. Absolutely. Cannot agree more. And it's interesting to think about the ways in which the vote was being suppressed um, and voting at home in particular with that one drop box in the county. I never would have imagined that'd be another way people are trying to make it even more difficult to cast a ballot. So thank you for helping us get into that mindset um, and thinking about different ways that it's only made more difficult. Um, so going back to kind of thinking about what it's like for young voters, um, how can a person who is voting at home find reliable information about the candidates on their ballot? Yeah, so the good news is there is a lot of online information. I would start with you guys. Um, like you said, the kind of the one-stop voting stuff, but also, you know, um, the vote 411, ballot ready, um, those are those are some good partner organizations that you have um, here in Oregon. I'm just going to show you. I, I try not to always vote about Oregon, but we have a thing um, called a voter pamphlet. Another systemic thing, and and I know that the podcast isn't going to be. We're we're recording on Zoom, and I know it's we're not going to be able to see this in real life, but I'm going to show this. So in Oregon, you get in the mail every household in the state a couple like a week before you get your ballot gets a voter pamphlet that has full information with candidate statements, with explanations of ballot measures, whatever it is that's mailed to every house. Um, that's another kind of longer term thing for full voted home states that we are um, that that we advocate for. But there's a lot of information. Um, sometimes you have to look a little harder than others, but you it, it is always worth having it because I'll tell you the other thing about voting at home is it gives you that opportunity right 
I think all the time about, um, uh, I mean, like rank choice voting is something that people are talking a lot about, right? R you know, ranking and deciding, hmm, how do I do this, the engagement of that. Let me tell you, if you're going to be rank choice voting, you want to be voting at home. Because the, if you think the lines are long now with people <laughs> standing in a booth and just having to pick one person at each, imagine having to rank ha having to rank all of your choices. So really the, the beauty of voting at home is you do have that opportunity. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day who said, yeah, I used to have to do all this stuff and then I would print out my stuff and some, what if I forgot it? And when I went into my ballot booth, I didn't know how to do it. And now the difference of just being able to sit there with my ballot and look it up. So have that, the ballot ready, the, the vote for and one, whatever it is, the beauty of that as somebody, are you worried that you're not going to know who to vote for? Even more reason to vote at home, because then you will have the time and opportunity. Spend half an hour doing some research online with your ballot right there. Absolutely. I will share a personal story myself now, because I think now it's just a rite of passage, but the first time I ever voted, um, I went to college in my hometown so I could just go to the same point location I had my whole life or my parents had um but I remember going and preparing to go vote and scrambling to find information online going to every single individual candidate's website and my dad asking me to write it down on a post-it note of who to vote for based on what you know we like to we like to see happen in our local community um and it was it was stressful more than I think it would be if I had the chance to I sit down and um, not scramble to find information and take my time with that ballot at home. So um, I might actually encourage my dad and myself to switch to voting at home if <laughs> to prevent any of that scrambling in the future. Um, so yeah, as we enter into another monumental election cycle year, what is something uh, that's giving you hope as we begin 2024? Uh, this could be related to voting and the election cycle, of course, but it also can be a good book you've read lately, a song you've heard that's been giving you life, a great chat with a friend, anything and everything is welcome on this question. Right. Well, I would say a couple things. Um, the the youth that that paper that we just put out about youth voter turnout that really made me excited. Just to have that reinforcement of yeah, this is like just the the more work I do in this space, the more I see how this really is. This is how you voting at home is how you. It's voter enfranchisement, right? It is. It, it makes it so much easier. That's really exciting, um, and just seeing all of the um, all of the groups that are engaged. In it, learning about AGF, right? I didn't know about AGF until I started doing this work, and I'm like, oh, I love that. Um, and then I all, I have to give a shout out to one of my favorite books that I have been reading and rereading um, for the last year or two, called The Sum of Us. Um, by Heather McGee, which is just so like everything that I encounter um, about, you know, uh, about brightness and good uh, is is reinforced by Heather McGee's amazing uh, book about how, you know, about how white supremacy and racism, it, it, it's it's pitched as a zero sum game and it's not. Um, and there's, she has a whole section on voting there that just, that really gets me. Um, so that is kind of my, that, that is always, uh, whenever I have something come up, I'm like, oh, let me just go look in the some of us again. <laughs> so I love that book. Yeah. I love that question. I, I think Mia, you've got my favorite question to ask too, because I just like love to hear what people are 
I don't know. It's just good. It's just good to hear what folks are are getting into and giving them hope and what what's helping them um, through any sort of difficult thing that might be coming up in the news cycle or anything like that. So I, I appreciate you sharing your answers with us. Um, you know, I feel like this conversation has been so rich. I think there's been so so much information provided. I think that this is an extremely great way to start this season of the podcast that's going to be all focused on voter education and making sure that everyone is ready to go to the polls in 2024 and beyond. Uh, but before we close out our episode, is there any final thoughts that you want to share with our audience? Anything that we haven't covered? And then additionally, if people want to follow along with work or with your work at Vote at Home Institute, where could they go? Where should they be following you? How can they get involved? Sure. So on all would love to have folks um, join us on all our social channels on at vote at home spelled at V O T E A T H O M E. Um, we have, uh, we've got a scorecard where, uh, if you're curious about what, what you can and can't do in your state to vote at home, go to our website, voteathome.org. We've got a scorecard where you can click on your state, uh, and not only find out kind of a numerical score, but what it means, right? Do, can you, can you get a, get, uh, sign up to, for an absentee ballot online, right? Do you have ballot tracking in your state? all that stuff. So that can give you some really useful information about that stuff. Um, and like the research we do, like the youth voting, we also have put out uh, papers about how voting at home promote is a great way to get out the vote, right? Um, it's a it's a whole nother element. Instead of having to, you know, if you're involved in a campaign, you don't, you know, the idea of instead of getting people out to vote on one day to have a couple weeks to do it, it's a website. Follow us on social. Um, we have a great our great communications team um, is uh, does a great job, and we just we would love no matter what state you're in, reach out to us um, because there's somebody we can connect you with or something we can do so that you can help your state become more voted home friendly. That's great. Thank you so so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an amazing episode. Um, and I cannot wait to, you know, help get the word out about voting at home, especially for 2024. So thank you Amen. so much. Amen. And I hope you both vote at home and all of you listening. This concludes this week's episode of the Living Legacy Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A special thank you to the Vote at Home Institute for today's episode. Another special thank you to To Beak Music for all of the music that you've heard on today's episode. And if you like this episode, please like, comment, or subscribe. It makes it that much easier for other people to find our podcast. Until next time, this has been your co-host, me and Matthews. And Mo Banks. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.